Hey everyone, this is Dave Cruz from Flyber Labs, a podcast on business and innovation in the Midwest and beyond. Here you'll meet fascinating people and learn about new technologies and practices that will change how you look at life and business. Enjoy. Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of Flyer Labs, and today we get to talk to Ellie Wheeler. And Ellie is a partner at Graycroft Partners, which is a prominent venture capital firm, and she's in their New York office. So Ellie is, of course, an investor and sits on the board of a number of startups, including Flashpoint, Health Reveal, and uh, Bobble Bar. Before Graycroft, Ellie was with uh, Lowercase Capital and Cisco, working their corporate development, where she did a number of acquisitions and investments. So she also graduated from Georgetown and received her MBA from Harvard. So I'm pretty pumped to learn more about Ellie's background and uh, what she's learned and what she's excited about now. So Ellie, thanks for uh, coming on the show. Well, thanks for having me. Definitely. So uh, before we talk about what you're doing now, could you give us a little bit overview of your background? Yeah, sure. <laughs> um, I, people ask me this a lot, right? Yeah, because yeah there's, of course. You know, a lot of people are interested in, in getting into venture, and it's not uh, the most straightforward thing to do. I always say that there is no path, right? It, it's not like if you do X and then you do Y, boom, you can you can get into venture. <laughs> really, that's just not how it works. Um, and my my path is just as odd as any. Um, I actually went to med school after college. I dropped out. I ended up at a private equity firm in Boston called Summit Partners um, a few months after I dropped out of med school. Um, was there for a number of years, um, or that's overstating it, I was there for a little over two years. Um, and I learned a little bit about a lot of things there. Um, so a little bit about a bunch of different industries and different business models, um, certainly later stage, so a little bit up the food chain from, um, of course, what I'm doing now. And, um, you know, I learned a tremendous amount, uh, but I also learned what I didn't want to be doing, um, and uh, which I often think is, is more important. I I realized that figuring out what half a turn of leverage does to IRR in five years is just not interesting to me. Um, so the financial engineering and, uh, you know, that aspect of, of kind of later stage investing was, wasn't exciting. Um, but I, I liked a lot of the other things that I was doing. So I moved over to Cisco. I moved. I was in Boston at a private equity firm. I moved out to the West Coast, uh, moved to San Francisco, was working at Cisco, which is in the Valley. Um, I'd basically never been there before until I went out to interview and um, started working at CorpDesk. Uh, for Cisco, so um, you may know, but you know, Cisco is very acquisitive. It's it's part of you know kind of their core operating principles. You know they kind of look through the world through a buy, build, or partner lens. Um, so it's a machine, and you know everything's very well integrated, and you really see a lot of the organization by sitting in Corp Dev. I was also that was my full immersion into tech. Um, the, you know, at Summit, again, I had touched on a lot of different things, but this was my full on, you know, now we're going to focus on the enterprise software side of, of what Cisco is doing. Um, so learned a lot there. It also happened to be during the financial crisis. So given, you know, Cisco has a huge cash balance, it was about $33 billion at the time. I don't know what it is now. Um, we saw a ton come through. So, you know, for me, I, I got a, an incredible exposure because liquidity had otherwise completely dried up. 
So, you know, we were seeing everything sitting there as a potential acquirer or potential funder. So for me, it was a really great experience. I learned a lot. Um, from there, I went back to business school. Um, I wasn't the most thought out thing, quite honestly. Um, to me, I had, you know, I'd been in, I had done a pre-med curriculum undergrad and uh, so hadn't really explored the the basics and the fundamentals and the framework that you might have if you had even taken an economics class ever, let alone gone to undergrad business school. Um, so I learned a tremendous amount on the job, but of course there were a lot of things that I didn't know and I didn't know really the underpinnings of a lot of the things that I'd, I'd even learned in, in doing in practice. Also, everyone above me in either of my jobs had gone to business school. So it seems like something I have to go do. Um, but again, this is coming out of the uh, out of the financial crisis. I went back to business school, and I guess I started in 2009, graduated from HBS in, in 2011. Um, for my second year there, I did. I worked with um, Chris Becca remotely, um, and yeah, that was obviously you know really early stage stuff. He's always doing interesting things, so had a good experience there, and then ended up landing at Graycroft immediately after business school. So I've been here in New York for the last six years. Gotcha. Okay. And so and I, I'm, I'm curious, well, of course, about lowercase, but also Cisco, because the corporate dev, it seems like it's, uh, like you said, who knows how eventually you're going to get to VC, but it seems like there's definitely some venture capitalists that come out of the corporate dev, which makes a lot of sense because you kind of see the other side of things. Um, you know, how did it... What were your what were your roles like? What were you what did you first start doing at Cisco's and what else did you um, work on when you were there? Oh yeah, sure. So at Cisco, you do a little bit of everything in that corporate department because it's uh, you know it's, it's pretty self sufficient. So I you know we did a handful of investments in joining B rounds, typically B or C rounds. Um, usually not leading, somebody else was leading, so we'd work alongside a VC and you know evaluate the company um, and you know kind of how it fits. Cisco's point of view on the world and that particular business unit's point of view. Um, we also did a number of acquisitions while I was there, um, ranging from some smaller, uh, more tech-in, technology, tech and talent acquisitions, ranging up to much larger. Um, for example, Tanberg. Um, we did a ton of work on it. it. Didn't close. I had left already before it closed, but we did a lot of work on it. Um, you know, toward the toward the end of my time there, I also joined about a week after WebEx closed. Uh, so about WebEx, and um, it was an acquisition that was a little bit out of the ordinary for Cisco. Usually, it's you know kind of a machine, and you go through step one and step two and step three and so on. Um, WebEx was a little bit more frenzied, um, which was to my benefit <laughs> in terms of my experience. So I got to work pretty closely with the team there to build out kind of the strategic operating plan over the next few years. Um, and ultimately, some of the acquisitions that we executed were um, to support that plan. So I got a wide range of yeah, experience wow. and, yeah, a bunch of different business units that we worked really closely with. And, you know, you're interacting with the senior leaders of these business units that in a company like Cisco, a lot of these um, people are, are running business units or autonomously, which are larger than a lot of public companies. Mm. So it's uh, you know it's a, it was a great experience as a, a you know pretty junior person. So and how does your team or Cisco identify targets, and then how do they how do you figure out which ones to really kind of go after? Are they committees or what's kind of the process to make that happen? 
Yeah. So from the investment or from the acquisition? I was thinking more acquisition. Yeah. Yeah, yeah sure. Right. So, you know, they're strategically driven. So oftentimes, you know, or not oftentimes, you basically always um, need a business unit sponsor. So okay. somebody, you know, you're working with somebody who's, you know, running a business unit or, um, you know, driving a roadmap um, within a business unit. And, you know, there's a core need that, you know, that we need to fill. Uh, so we'll go kind of evaluate all the different options, including building, including, you know, kind of partnering with someone to, you know, to, to lend that functionality or we're actually buying a company and it happens in all different manners. Sometimes somebody's a huge advocate for buying a particular company and that's really how the whole thing starts. Sometimes it's more of a, we have this strategic need, what are our options to fill it? Um, But in all cases, you'll go evaluate the market, evaluate the different companies and the different options um, and come back with a recommendation. Uh, both with, with the business unit, so you're aligned in you know what it is that we think the best uh, path forward is, and then also you know eventually kind of up the up the chain within corporate development and within the general executive team. And and how how do the um, deals or potential deals kind of come across your the desk? Like, do you guys meet people at conferences, or do you actively seek out say, hey, we're going to go after this particular industry and here are the top 10 people per Gartner or whatever it might be, and do you uh, actively go after companies, or yeah, how does that work? A little bit of everything. Um, so, you know, it, it's, it was structured, at least when I was there, it still is, um, but I'm sure there's you know, some particulars that have changed, uh, but you're focused on kind of particular areas, there's a you know smaller team within Corp Dev. So, you know, we were doing unified communications and um, video conferencing, uh, voice. Um, so, you know, we were pretty aware of you know it was our business to be aware of a lot of the companies that okay. were in that space, so both the larger ones as well as the more emerging companies. We did a lot of reaching out to folks, especially if it was a particular sector that we were interested in. Um, you know, so we would get to know those companies. Um, I remember doing a big enterprise collaboration kind of market map um, and talking to a ton of different companies you know, that were touching that space as we looked to figure out um, you know, kind of what the best path forward was for us in that particular sector, um, which is kind of fun to watch something like yeah. Slack emerge now. Um, <laughs> I mean, this, is, this is not new. Uh, it's just you know, different. It's just executed, executed well and executed differently, and the time is different. Um, so it, it, it takes all forms. And sometimes, you know, the company that you've, you've already invested in, so, you know, understand the company, you know, differently as a result of that. And sometimes it is a partner, uh, you know, somebody that the, uh, the company or a particular business unit is already working with in some capacity. Okay. And so, um, and last question here. So if, if you're a startup and Cisco approaches you, should, I mean, how much tire kicking do you guys do? Like, should that startup be like, holy cow, we're going to get acquired from Cisco? Or is more like, you're like one of 10 companies we're talking to this week. <laughs> so don't get too excited. Um, yeah. That's, yeah, the, the latter is the right. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Um, you know, they're not talking to anyone in a vacuum, and it would be irresponsible to do so, right? Yeah. Um, so, you know, they're taking a look at an entire space and, um, I don't think it's a bad thing for startups to be on the radar, um, you know, and, uh, you know, I, you shouldn't be spending a disproportionate amount of time 
with any of these corporate partners when you know you're you're trying to execute your business first and foremost. Um, but building those relationships over time um, is really how these things end up getting done. Okay, and, th- and that was my next question: was you know, with your Cisco corporate development hat on, do you uh, give any? You kind of just gave the advice, but do you give any other advice to your startup saying? you want to get acquired i mean i probably the best way is have a high growth rate and and you know good revenue growth but uh is there any other advice you give to them to uh make them attractive targets i guess yeah i mean i say first build a good business right solve a real problem build a good business deliver value to your customers um and the rest of it is secondary um if you don't do that first unless you have something tremendous technically, right? Like you're solving a very specific technical problem um, that, a, that a company needs to fill in. If you haven't actually done the hard work of building a business and showing that customers value what it is that you're delivering, um, then, you know, you can, you can wrap it up as nicely as you want to, but no one's going to bite. And, and how big a part of uh, being acquired as a startup is timing, do you think? Is it, is it, I mean, sometimes it seems um, like the, these large companies like Cisco, you know, they have a certain milestones or a certain uh, agenda. And if you're not on their agenda, there's no way you're going to get acquired or um, just because of timing. Is that true? Or um, does, how much, how much part of it does timing play? Yeah. I mean, I think timing plays a big role in just about everything. <laughs> so, <laughs> uh, you know, whether it's business or life or whatever. Yeah. So of, of course, timing matters. Um, but it's, it's not the end all be all. Gotcha. I mean, there's exceptions. Yep. To, there's exceptions to all of it. Okay. Right? Something really exceptional, and people are are willing to think outside the confines of what they're uh, typically working within. Okay. Gotcha. All right. So moving on. So how, how did you get connected to lower uh, lowercase? You were at you were at Harvard at the time. It yeah, like, yeah, I was. Okay. I was finishing up an internship I'd done at a VC fund in London, and um, Chris actually tweeted out a. Um, a post looking for help, essentially, but he oh, did no so in his own in his own manner, which was like you know, cow cowpoke wanted or, or something like that. I think um, I think that's actually what it was. Um, and somebody had tweeted it, and I, I saw it and read it, um, and it was just you know, flippant and you know, kind of really interesting post. And uh, I spent the last two or three days of my internship responding to it, and. Um, <laughs> A whole bunch of things lined up, and uh, and it ended up working out. And I actually worked with a professor in my first semester um, to structure something academic around it that I that I also did in order to get um, in order to get course credit. It's going to sound quaint now, but at the time, um, I you know, kind of seed venture funds or micro VCs or super angels were were nascent. You know, there were only a handful of funds that were actually doing that. Um, so I ended up doing a study of kind of what was out there, how different people were operating, what the potential you know, ripple effects throughout the rest of the venture ecosystem would be, and you know what it would evolve to look like over time, and all these different things with a bunch of interviews kind of across the ecosystem, um, which is kind of a project that I did um, alongside the work that I was doing. So. That's interesting. Okay. And for lowercase, what did you just uh, review potential companies or what was kind of your main roles there? Yeah, exactly. I was just trying to, you know, providing support, Um, you know, school full time, but, you know, helping out 
um, and you know, doing the, the first sift through the tremendous number of emails that were coming in, um, as well as you know, helping out on on things that were more live in the pipeline and helping the portfolio where I could. Gotcha. Okay. And uh, do you think the the cold emails? Did you did uh, does Laura Case or or even Gray Croft ever invest in those much? Wait, you wait. know, it, it happens. It really does. But you know, your odds are not tremendously high because <laughs> okay. um, because the, the odds of getting funded generally are low, right? Um, yeah. The vast majority of companies don't get funding and probably shouldn't. You know, the vast majority of companies really um, shouldn't take venture money. It's not the right thing for them. Um, but you know, even those who try to raise it, um, you know, many are not successful. So. A cold email is, is kind of pretty far down the list of, you know, in terms of if your goal is to maximize your odds, uh, that's that's not the way to do it. Makes sense. Makes sense. okay. All right. So let's talk about uh, what you're doing now at the Graycroft, and can you just give us a a brief overview on Graycroft, um, if that's possible? Yeah, sure. So we're based in New York and Los Angeles. Those are where our two offices are and have been for the last. 11 years, we were founded in, in 2006. Um, idea behind Graycross was really to get back to the roots of venture. So, um, you know, there it used to be a, a cottage industry. In many ways, it still is. Uh, but, you know, funds got progressively bigger and bigger. And what we were seeing is that um, increasingly companies were getting capitalized based on fund size rather than what was actually optimal for the company at that point in their development. So we wanted to kind of go back to basics and take a more flexible approach. Um, so, you know, we are now, and I'll get into that, but we're on our fourth fund now, uh, 200 million early stage vehicle uh, that takes us from seed to series B. Although I'd say 90% of our time is spent at series A. And we also have a $200 million growth vehicle that picks up where the early stage fund leads off. Um, so out of the early stage funds, a check is from 500000 to $5 million, the core investment. Anything under 500000 is seed. Um, we always syndicate. So there's always another fund in around with us. Uh, we also don't have a minimum investment amount or a minimum ownership percentage. So oftentimes you'll hear, you know, we need to own 20 25 even 30%, and therefore you need to take Y number of dollars. Uh, we can be more flexible. Of course, it doesn't make sense to have a portfolio, you know, with a two hundred million dollar fund to have a portfolio, you know, owning one percent of such tremendous number of companies. Uh, but it's to say that you know we've had success buying up more ownership over time, um, even if we've gotten in, you know, kind of less than we've originally wanted. Uh, you know, if we're being helpful and you know doing our job well, you know, the CEO will, will help us find a way to do that. Um, you know, we want to be in, in the best company, so we're so we're willing to be flexible there. Uh, we also don't necessarily need a board seat, so you know we're happy to be an observer. And we think that kind of all of those things together allow the entrepreneur to put together the right size rounds for their business, and also get the people around the table that they're particularly excited about. Um, you know, we, we think it's essentially just as dangerous to be overcapitalized at the early stage as it is to be undercapitalized. And I think that we've seen uh, evidence to support that quite a bit over the last <laughs> well, 20, 20, 24 months. So, uh, you know, we, we, we take a flexible approach. And then sector-wise, um, really anything internet or mobile enables. Um, and, you know, we, we have a, a pretty wide range 
and within that, uh, portfolio is about 60% B2B, 40% B2C. Okay. Well, that was good. Okay. Nice. Thank you. And, uh, so uh, one quick question on that, I, and this is kind of a, a tough question to answer because it's kind of generic, but so, you know, you said that it's key. the key is to have the right amount of capital. Like, how do you uh, figure that out? Because, um, you know, uh, yeah. yeah, do you have a certain number, a certain amount of run, runway or how do you uh, determine that? Yeah, it's tied to a certain amount of runway, but it's a certain amount of runway to what, right? It's yeah. not just a a blanket 18 months or 24 months. It's, you know, what are the milestones that you'll, you know, the business milestones that you'll be able to achieve with this amount of capital? Um, and do you have the enough time to, to actually reach those milestones and exceed those milestones? Because, you know, you need to prove things in the business um, from one round to the next. And, you know, as, as the value of the business grows and so ultimately you need enough time to be able to prove out a lot of those things. Sometimes that's going to be a revenue number. Oftentimes it's going to be um, something else. It's going to be a combination. It's going to be the product evolution in addition to getting a sales engine ramping in a step. That's right. Starting to get that repeatable engine. Um, in a consumer business, it's probably going to be finding that, you know, one or two kind of acquisition channels. Gotcha. Or, you know, it can be, it can be multiple different things, but usually it's more tied to, you know, do we reasonably believe that you're going to be able to hit milestones that are, are going to really make sense and add value to No, that makes sense. Right. And if you're going to raise triple the amount, could you actually triple the milestones? And that's, yeah, where's the point of diminishing returns? <laughs> and, uh, um, yeah, that makes sense. Okay. Um. Yeah. So, how did you get connected to Graycroft? Did they tweet out too? They're looking for no. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No. This one wasn't via Twitter. Um. <laughs> but I actually, it's funny. It all ties back. So you know that that project I mentioned, having having done a school, um, I did a bunch of interviews to do that, and one of the first people I talked to uh, was Finn Barnes at first round at the time. He was still in New York. Now he's he's out in San Francisco. Um, but I had stayed in touch with him over that year and he'd make pictures for me. And then ultimately he introduced me to Greycroft and he knew he had heard that they were hiring um, and made the introduction. Interesting. Okay. Good. Nice. At the beginning, I mentioned the three of the companies that you're invested in. I was curious if you could uh, tell us about one of those or a different one that you're especially excited about. I know you're excited about all of them, but, uh, <laughs> <laughs> or maybe you can tell us about more than one too, but, uh, be fun to hear about one of them that you're especially excited about. Yeah, yeah, sure. So as you know, there there are no favorite children. No. <laughs> um, yeah, the, the whole portfolio is wonderful. Uh, no, but you know, there's a lot of a lot of exciting stuff going on. So I will talk about health reveal, I guess, because you did mention it, and it is also I, I closed two investments in Q1 of this year, and that's one of those two. Um, but this one, you know, the CEO and, and founder is Lonnie Reeson, and he um, was originally, or not originally, was previously uh, the founder of Active Health. Uh, Active Health was sold to Aetna for about $400 million. Um, after that acquisition, he served as the chief medical officer at Aetna for a number of years. So Health Reveal is essentially Active Health to Uh, using the technology and 
data methods available today that were not available when Active Health was actually launched. So, frankly, it's, it's the pattern that you love seeing, uh, particularly within enterprise technology. Um, it's kind of a repeat founder that had a successful exit, very well connected in the industry, um, bringing back team members from the first effort and kind of going to attack that industry again. So uh, that's one of those that if, if every single company I saw looked just like that, I'd be, I'd be very, very happy. <laughs> um, so I had the opportunity to spend a lot of time with Lonnie and the team um, it, last year um, as the round was coming together. And I'm really excited about what they're doing. I mean, they're essentially taking a bunch of different signals, including claims information, but also the latest clinical guidelines. So, you know, doctors are overwhelmed, overworked. Um, we are supposed to see a tremendous and growing number of patients in smaller and smaller time blocks. And in addition to all of that, are also supposed to keep up with the latest and greatest that's being published, you know, every day in these, you know, 60-page guidelines um, from their various clinical organizations or within the latest research journals. Uh, so this is, you know, Health Reveal, one of the things that they're doing is distilling down and making usable and digestible uh, the latest guidelines in, in that particular sector that might be relevant to a patient. So to simplify it, they're pulling together a bunch of different data sources and data signals, um, both from the patient, from claims data, from, as I said, clinical research, um, and kind of being a doctor's helper at the at the point of care um, to kind of, they're calling it reveal. Um, to show, you know, that this is the kind of recommended course of action or, you know, this medication makes sense for this reason, um, to make their job easier, to make sure that patients are ultimately getting a better standard of care and ultimately um, to treat the 60% of um, patients out there, or sorry, 60% of the, what I meant to say, was 60% of the cost in a healthcare system is, um, from you know, kind of the chronic, the chronically ill, um, and so they're going after that bucket first. Um, they're often the most complicated, being seen by multiple doctors, have multiple issues. Um, so they're they're doing a combination of you know making sure that the best information is available to be to be making care decisions, but they're also driving down costs. Um, by of course you know hoping that they're providing better care and getting ahead of um, incidents that, that might happen down the road by, you know, being more preventative and more proactive. And how, I mean, that sounds like a, um, you know, like a pretty good investment, especially like you said with the team and their track record. And so how did you get into that deal? Okay. I imagine they probably had other potential suitors. <laughs> and uh, um, Yeah. 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 So we actually did it alongside GE Ventures and okay. Flair. Okay. Um, but, you know, we had gotten to them to know them really early on, um, and spent a lot of time and, um, we were actually introduced originally by another investor. Um, the guys at OMDR Tech Ventures introduced us. They ultimately didn't come into the row, uh, but they made the, the first introduction and, um, it was great because we got to, we got a chance to spend a lot of time since we, uh, since we did, uh, get to know them pretty early on. All right. Gotcha. And so... Do you often spend that much time with a team? I mean, this one, they already had a successful exit and a good track record. But what if somebody didn't have that? Like, how do you know they they have the potential for that uh, big exit? 
I yeah, mean, that's the name of the game. Yeah, exactly. That's the name of the game. So, <laughs> yeah. um, you know, you, you hope that you get better at that over time. So, um, you know, it, there is no one answer, right? Um, but I do spend a lot of time thinking about why this team is, you know, particularly well-suited to solve the particular problem that they're going after. Um, you know, if they have customers, you're spending time talking to them, understanding you know, how it's been to work with the team in addition to why it is that they chose that particular product. Um, or, you know, you're you're certainly doing what you can to, to spend time with them and understand, you know, what the working relationship will be like and um, if, if you believe they're going to be able to recruit ultimately and um, who have they surrounded themselves with. And uh, you, so you're looking for signals in a variety of different things. Mm. And, you know, every interaction you're getting something out of. And that goes both ways. I mean, they should be doing the same with you. It's, you know, it's harder to get rid of an investor than it is ultimately, um, you know, to get rid of an executive or a founder, even though that is never the goal. Um, but, you know, just practically speaking, it's, it's pretty hard to get rid of an investor in your company. So they should be just as um, kind of yeah, diligent or focused. Yeah. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Diligent um, in, in getting to know you and, um, and your firm and, you know, how you're going to be. Interesting. Okay. And, uh, you know, what, uh, what type of areas do you invest in? It seems like you invest in, well, that, that's, that's one of my questions. And then the other question is how, what's the investment process, this decision process at, uh, Graycroft, like how, who else has to sign off on the health reveal investment before you make it? Oh yeah, sure. So, um, you know, we invest across, um, you know, as I said, we're, we're fairly wide ranging. So we tend, I at least, you know, tend to be fairly opportunistic and founder driven, um, okay. more so than, more so than purely thematic. Um, so in the case of health review, for example, I'm looking at that team, um, to show me kind of where things are heading. You know, like if this is really important because the world is going over there. And, you know, we're going to help the world move over there and, you know, really, you know, kind of paint that picture. And when you take as, num- you know, as many meetings as, as, you know, anyone in my shoes does, you know, you're taking little bit, little pieces of information from a lot of those different, different meetings to develop a, a view of, you know, where things are headed and where there are pockets of opportunity. Um, so again, as I said, you know, we're fairly wide ranging. We do a, a ton of different things. And frankly, you have to be pretty adaptable because, you know, whatever was, um, you know, the the trend of the moment nine months ago is is oftentimes, you know, you've really moved on. Um, and if you're operating on information from then, uh, you'll be making pretty bad decisions today. So <laughs> you have to be pretty, you have to be pretty flexible. And then in terms of our investment process, um, so you know, once I meet a company, I need to spend time with it, dig in, uh, get some additional information. Um, go to a site visit, meet more of the team, start doing some references and calling around to industry people, and then have them come in for um, to present at a partner meeting where you know they'll meet our whole team, present to the whole team, we'll talk about it as a group, pretty collaborative process. So we all kind of vote and um, come out of that meeting with a sense of, you know, sometimes it's, you know, we really were excited, but we want to dig into XYZ things. And if we can get comfortable with that, then you know, we can consider moving to a term sheet. Sometimes we'll come out of there talking about price and trying to figure out if we can work out a deal. And sometimes uh, we decide that it's not something we want to spend additional time on. 
Um, but that's kind of generally the process. And then, you know, after that, we can kind of move to a term sheet, start putting together um, a syndicate, whether there's another investor around the table who's already excited about it, or sometimes we'll have brought someone um, to, the, to the table who kind of has been looking at the deal with us the entire time. Um, but then we'll, you know, kind of move to a close. So that process is, I would say, on average, like three or four weeks, but it can be longer and it can be shorter. Okay. And, and the, at Graycroft, do you have like an investment committee that has to, you know, is it majority vote or does everyone have to approve it or how does that work? Uh, yeah, yeah. So we, you know, it is, it's pretty consensus driven, okay. but, um, you know, we vote and then, you know, we talk about it after or if somebody really, you know, jumps up and down and absolutely hates it, you know, people <laughs> listen, um, okay. but it's, it's not always a, it's not always a killer. Gotcha. Have you ever jumped jumped up and down yelling? No, no. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. <laughs> you don't have to answer that. Yeah, one. <laughs> I, yeah. No, I mean, I can. I mean, I, yeah. I think it's a it's a valid question. There are times that yeah, I have felt strongly no, um, and there are times that others have felt strongly no, and you know, you make your case. <laughs> and if people really, really feel that strongly, then you know, it's if it's you know, let's say I'm bringing something and one of my partners hates it, um, you know, that's that's really meaningful. I'm going to spend a lot of time with them trying to figure out why and, uh, you know, see if we can't, um, see eye to eye or, uh, you know, kind of get past it. Gotcha. Okay. All right. So unfortunately we're almost done with the, the interview here. And, uh, but I got a couple of questions more on the personal side of things. I mean, it sounds like you have a really sweet you know, job. I mean, obviously <laughs> you probably don't always feel like that, but you, you do have quite an interesting job is for sure. And, uh, um, but yeah, I'm curious. I'm always curious how people kind of get a get away from work a little bit. Um, you know, I mean, I know you probably work quite a bit, but when you can, you know, what do you like to do to relax or get away from it all? Yeah, um, yeah, it's hard because it's it's an always on proposition. You know, there's, yeah. you could you could work all of the time. Like, there's no. <laughs> <laughs> right, or you could be reading an article. You could be doing something. Um, but I don't know. I I live in the city. I live in New York. I live in Manhattan. So um, I guess you know it's you like nothing crazy. <laughs> like yeah, exactly. I mean, that's 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 the sport in Manhattan, right? Yeah, exactly. um, and uh, you know all the typical things. I read a lot. I do. Okay. I probably read more than the average person, but I also. You know, work out, read, hang out in the city with friends and uh, my husband and uh, all of that good stuff. Um, right now, I actually have a cast on my left arm. So oh, I'm right. staring at it, thinking about how much I would like to work out and I can't. So that's what's top of mind uh, at the moment. <laughs> what do you like to do when you uh, work out? A little bit of everything. Okay. Uh, running, the you know, kind of classes. And uh, I also have a road bike in the city that. I haven't been able to take out yet. So does it ever, because uh, sometimes I get this a little bit, that, you know, like you said, you could always work. And so like, <laughs> does it, how do you deal with not always work? Or sometimes it's almost more stressful not working, <laughs> which it sounds silly, but you know, uh, do, do you ever have that problem where it's, you know, it's almost hard to rip yourself away from doing one more thing? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, especially because it's so email driven that it really could be all the time. Um, you know, there's little rules I set for myself. Like there, we have no, in, in our house, we have a, you know, no devices 
at dinner uh, roll, which is a good one. Good. No devices oh, ever at the table. Yeah, whether out or or at home. Um, and uh, different things that I'll just really try and put my phone down. It's uh, it's a battle. I think we all fight. Gotcha. All right. Yes. Okay. Especially in today's world. Uh, but mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> well, no, I think that's a a great place to end the podcast. So, uh, Ellie, really appreciate you uh, taking the time to share about your uh, professional background, a little bit of personal at the end. And uh, it's great. I, I learned a lot, I was, especially around the corporate development. That's a really uh, interesting area. And, oh, and the VC. But I haven't uh, talked much about corporate development on this uh, podcast. So really appreciate you uh, sharing your insights and thoughts. Of course. Thanks for having me. It was fun. Definitely. And uh, thanks to everyone for listening to another episode of Flyover Labs. As always, I greatly appreciate it. And uh, we'll see you next time. Thanks, everyone. Thanks, Ellie.